0: Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Shit Talking Podcast. I'm Christina Previtt. And I'm Robin Ross. Wait, are we allowed to see shit? I don't know. Whatever. Let's go. Hello, everybody. You are watching... Robin, you're very peppy tonight. You are watching the Shit Talking Podcast with Christina. And Robin, who's
1: very peppy, full of pep.
0: We were having wardrobe malfunctions and tech issues like pretty much every week before we go live. We just, you know, are like chickens without heads flipping out because someone's mic isn't working or someone's got feedback or I just had to put my eyeliner on real quick because my peanut gallery wants to see me with eyeliner on.
1: And I had to put on a cardigan because I didn't shave my armpits and I felt like (laughs) nobody would want to see that. So. We're, we're here for you guys like we're here for you
0: so you gave it all away nobody would have known except for me I know
1: I, I, I did show it to Christina before we
0: went on I was like yeah. look look how bad this is
1: but you know what it's like spring is just upon us it's COVID I haven't been to the gym I've been working out at home I really feel like going to the gym was the only reason that you got like full armpit shaving throughout the year in the past was because I'd be at the gym so now that I'm not at the gym I'm like well who cares if I'm like lifting weights at home in a tank top and I'm like oh it's a little stubbly like
0: I don't I don't care a lot of us have have just kind of I don't want to say let things go but to some degree we have (laughs) given up (laughs) I don't give I don't get any pleasure now out of buying shoes because why what for? I mean, we're you're not, we're not going out that much. I do still go out to dinner. I know some people aren't comfortable with that, but I'm just don't feel like I'm not going out as much and seeing people that I just kind of don't, I feel like what's the point to some degree?
1: Yes. I well I have a little bit of a shopping problem, so I do still buy shoes, but I think that if I didn't have that illness, I probably wouldn't like if I didn't have that issue, but there are definitely times like I'm looking at clothing online or I'm like, you know, looking at just regular shopping things. And I think to myself, where the hell am I wearing this? Like, why am I, why am I buying this? I bought myself a beautiful pair of birthday shoes, guys. Like I I'm going to have to show you these shoes. Maybe next they're pink. They were pink suede Louboutins and they're beautiful. They're beautiful, but I, it was a birthday gift to myself. I literally wore them on my birthday one time, which was in October, and I've never worn them again. And yes. I see them sitting very sadly in my closet. Maybe I'll just wear them to work tomorrow.
0: It's it was like, at that party that I wasn't invited to.
1: I, <laughs> that, that has been no... Guys, so for those of you who did not hear this on the Shit Talking podcast, um, my wonderful work wife, through a surprise party for me on my birthday, but failed to invite Christina Prevett. How did that happen? How?
0: I don't know. you're going to be hearing about it until you're 80. <laughs>
1: you're
0: like, remember when I, you did I, I, your 40th birthday party? <laughs> I know. I know. It, we, like, We'll
1: literally be in the nursing home. So, like, do you remember that time that you had a birthday party like 40 years ago? and you didn't invite me. And I will still maintain, I did not invite you. I was not responsible for the guest list. So I take no responsibility, but I still understand because I would have been upset too. John, if you're listening, if you throw a party for Christina, you better invite me. I'm just telling
0: you right now. He he said, hello, beautiful. (laughs) Your work wasn't going to be fired. That seems harsh. I I don't actually
1: have the ability to fire her. So unfortunately, I'm not that high up in the totem
0: pole. That would have to um, be a breakup and you're not doing that.
1: I don't want to break up. Breakups are hard. I don't want to do that. But um, none of this is what we were supposed to
0: talk about today. But As per usual. Shocked, shocking, right? <laughs> yeah, what, what is our damn topic today? Anyway, you introduce it, Robin. Okay, so today
1: we are talking about the worst advice that you ever got. So I think that we spend a lot of time on this show, solving all of life's problems. Like that's just what we do. We we give, you know, you give us an hour of your time, give or take, and we solve all of the world's problems. And then we send you on your way. But all advice is not good advice. Like some advice is just shitty advice. Yeah. So I started thinking about like, what are times, and I'd love to hear from you guys in the peanut gallery like, what are some times that you just got really bad advice? You know what I mean? Where, like, maybe somebody meant well, or maybe they didn't. Maybe it was sabotage. I don't know. But like, what's some really bad advice that you got, Christina?
0: I'm trying to think of something really specific over the course of my life. But the one thing that, um, in general, that I think is not always the best advice is when someone really doesn't know you that well or even if they do but there's a problem with something i'll say like a relationship issue it Mm -hmm. seems that everybody's go-to is oh you should just dump him yeah like the answer is always to dump the person and sometimes that is the right answer right like sometimes we do need to break up with somebody but you know, like every time a problem arises in a relationship, you cannot just go breaking up with people because you will just have this long trail of bodies behind you. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. by the time you're like 40 or 50, you know, and you'll never have a successful relationship because you have to communicate. And it actually goes back to some other things we've talked about, like expectations right. and speaking up for yourself and saying what you want. If you don't ever learn how to do those things in a relationship, then, you know, you are going to have big problems, but I hate when people's like knee jerk reaction is just, Oh, you should just break up with him. Like, I'm flipping my hair. You just, you should just break up with him. Like you should just dump him. Yes. But I
1: will say, I don't ever give that as like knee jerk advice, but I think it depends on the age of the person for one. Like if I'm speaking to somebody very, very young, let's say like maybe they're 19 or 20 or 21, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just constantly hearing nothing but drama in a relationship. At that point, I'm like, dump them. Like like, you don't have time for this. You're young. All I'm hearing is bad shit. Dump them. I mean, I think when you're in a more established relationship, maybe when you're a little bit older, maybe when, you know, relationships are built on a little bit more than I saw this cute guy and now he's my boyfriend. I don't know that that would be my advice because I think we're a little bit more intentional. Hopefully we're more intentional about the people that we're with. But I think for younger people i have definitely given that advice. So I'm like, just, just dump them.
0: Well, cause when they're young, sometimes you're like, what's the point? You guys are not like, this isn't going to stay together, you know? No. Well, says the worst advice you get is the advice you didn't ask for. That is so true. Why do people think that it's their job to start solving all your problems just because you wanted to vent about something?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that we've had this conversation before. And if we didn't, I apologize because I do like all my conversations meld together. And I always think I'm talking to the same person when usually I'm not. But I think that one of the best things that I've done in my friendships um, is, you know, when a friend is venting to me is to ask my friend, are you telling me this to vent? Or are you telling me this for my opinion?
0: I, sometimes, that's great. I wish you would have taught me that lesson like years ago, because I got <laughs> myself jammed up with friends because I didn't give the right response.
1: Well, and yeah, and I think that part of that is to be honest, an occupational hazard. You and I are solvers. That's what we do for a living. When people tell us things, they tell us things because they want an answer. They tell us things because they want a solution. So, you know, it's sometimes hard to switch from work mode to friend mode because I'm used to solving a problem. If you come to me with a problem, I give you a solution. So if you say, you know, I'm in an abusive relationship, well, you need to get out of it. Let's come up with a safety plan. Like, I'm on it. Like, okay, let's do it. You know what I mean? So, but if you're my friend, and even as a friend, and, I, and I'm using a very serious topic, if you're my friend and you come to me and you say, I'm in an abusive relationship, I still need to ask, do you need me to listen to you right now? Or do you need me to solve this problem? Because yeah, even though your need or- work is going to be to solve the problem, because you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. I need to solve this. Sometimes that's yeah. not what the person
0: needs. And maybe even more specific than do you want me to solve the problem is, do you want my honest opinion? Right. And sometimes people don't, which I don't get, but sometimes they don't. You know, I, I had one friend in particular that I'm not friends with anymore, shocker, um, who would, you know, complain about various things and you know, about like things that she didn't have in her life. And, you right. know, you can always see someone else's issue like so clearly. You can't see your own, but you can see everyone else's. Yeah. So it's it's easy to see, you know, what she was doing wrong or how she was looking at something um, where her perception could have just been modified. Mm-hmm. So she would complain. And then, of course, I'd just be like, well, I mean, and then offer the advice. And she, she never liked that. It it always started a fight. And I would just be like, but I don't understand. Am I supposed to am I supposed to lie? And right. So it was, became clear to me that she really just wanted someone to listen but she also wanted someone to agree.
1: Okay, so I'm going to say what something that I think might be fairly sexist. I understand that this is um this is a little stereotypical, but I think that's a woman issue. I I find that happens a lot more among women that we want to tell you our problems Or the simple result of you telling us we're right. That's it. Like, that's what we want to know. Like, I want to go to my friend, say, look at, you know, what my boyfriend did. He did this, 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 and this. I want her to be like, yeah, girl, he's horrible. I can't believe he did that to you. As opposed to a friend going, well, he did that. But did you ever think that maybe he did that because you didn't communicate with him openly about what your expectation was? Maybe he didn't unload the dishwasher because you didn't ask him to unload the dishwasher. And then I'd be like, bitch, that's not why I'm saying this. Like, that's not really what you want. You want the, like,
0: the cheerleading and the rallying, you know? What do you do with that then? Because I don't feel comfortable with that. Especially if it's something big, like, you know, a relationship issue or, or a chronic problem in your life. Like, oh, I can't find a boyfriend. Like, that was a recurring one with, with this girl. And it was like, okay, but I see certain things that you're doing that are you, where you're sabotaging yourself. And it's not meant to be mean spirit. It's honestly meant to be loving and kind, but also help you see things from a perspective that might help you get what you want. So how, my question for you is, How do, what do you do? I mean, do you, well, you said you start out with, do you want me to solve the problem or do you want me to listen? So you start out with that, right?
1: I, I do. But I also think that the people who know me, who are my good friends, they know that I'm going to give you my honest opinion. And if you're coming to me, you're going to get honesty. So you know, if that's not what you're looking for, and I do have friends who have said to me, that they're like, "You know what? I just really need to vent right now. Can I tell you what's going on?" And I go, "Yeah, absolutely." And then I don't offer advice. I don't say maybe you could do this. I don't say maybe you could do that. I just listen because you've already told me that's what you want. But if you come to me and say, "What should I do?" or "What do you think?" Uh-huh. I'm going to be honest. Like,
0: yeah. "Well, that's why we're friends, Robin."
1: Well, maybe we're friends too because I've been told and it kind of sounds by some of the things that you're saying have you ever been told that you think like a guy I get told that all the time
0: no I don't remember ever being told that
1: but I think that that that's that's part of the reason I say that I sometimes answer questions the way a guy would answer a question like if you come to me and you go you know something that might seem obvious well like maybe you're like bitching to me about the fact that, like, oh, you know, my my mic is broken. And I might be like, oh, my God, that sucks. I can't believe that your mic is broken. But instead, I'm just going to be like, maybe you should get a new mic.
0: Yeah, but... What you don't want to say say is, no, your mic's not broken. It's not your mic. It's like... But some people do that. Yes, and I think a lot of girlfriends think... Some girlfriends do think that it's their role to just always try to make you feel better even if I'm lying, And I I have a really wonderful friend who does that. No, like no matter what it is, you know, I complain about something my boyfriend did. She's always on my side, which is great. Like I, you know, on some level, I love that. Like, thank you for always being on my side. But then at the same time, it's like, but I don't need you to just make me feel good because that's not, that's perpetuating the problem, right? Like sometimes you do need to hear the truth. Yes.
1: I mean, to answer John's question was asked if I, if I'm told that I, I think like a straight guy. Um, yes. But I do think that sometimes I think like a gay guy too. I think I just have all of the, the guy personas put into place, hopefully. I don't know, but, but, but I, I don't know. So like, I, I guess in a way, yes, the worst advice you can get is the advice that you don't ask for. But I also think, you know, there does come a point well, let's say like the friend keeps coming to you with the same problem. After a while, you do want to solve it. You're just like, okay, for the love of God, just get a new mic. You know what I mean? Like if every single week, you know, I'm complaining and I'm, I'm going to use myself as the example because I'm always complaining that every week I'm having audio problems with this podcast. And every week, Christina sends me a link to a new mic. She's like, oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this mic? I've tried this mic and it's great. And then I never buy it, right? I'm like, oh man, I forgot to buy the mic. But my point is, after a while, I think Christina would be well within her rights to be like, how about you stop complaining about your audio issues and get a goddamn mic for the love of everything holy? Like, after a while, you just get tired of hearing the same
0: complaints, right? I would have to to do a mic intervention. (laughs) Right,
1: right. But, But we have that same issue, I think, with friends coming to us with problems and they don't want our advice because we don't want to end up in the the worst advice category that I think Dr. Rosie is completely right Like if you're not asking for advice, don't give it but then after a while, it's kind of like stop complaining then.
0: Let's address some of the the people in the peanut gallery, Rosie you guys might remember Rosie, Dr. Roter. we've had her on the show twice already, she's a plastic surgeon I have a feeling we'll need to have her on again soon but she says that she's had problems with girlfriends because she can't sugarcoat things. And this is my favorite would often say he's just not into you. I love that. That is so true. And mm. Rosie, I'm kind of curious. Did you read that book? He's just not that into you and see the movie because w- I, when I read that book and this is going back a while, that book's kind of old now. Yeah. Like, it, it It hit me like a ton of bricks. It was so true. It's so basic, but it's so true because all my girlfriends in my 20s, and I'm sure I did it too. Every time some dude, you know, doesn't call you back or he doesn't, he's not, he's not, you know, like barking up your tree and you're like, oh, you know, he's probably, they make up all these excuses like, oh, he's, he's afraid of getting hurt. Oh, he's, you know, he's not over his last girlfriend yet. No, and then he's all these reasons. And it's like, just stop. It doesn't, yep. matter. Well, it doesn't matter what the reason is. If he's yeah. not calling you, he's not interested. And it's just that simple. The inquiry ends there. Move on.
1: I do think that we would save a lot of time. And I think the first time this concept was introduced to a lot of us, um, for all of the Sex in the City fans, was on an episode of Sex in the City, where I think that it was Carrie's boyfriend burger who said this to Miranda um, about some guy that you know she was like oh you know and he was like listening to the girls talk and he's like oh you know he didn't call but you know I don't know like maybe he's intimidated and he doesn't want a relationship but he thinks he does but he, like and they're all going around the circles and the guy's like he's not that into you and all of the women like shriek in disgust they're like oh my oh, listen to him of course he's into you and. Miranda being the very like rational person on the show was like, no, I love that. It's simple. And how much time would we save obsessing over why a guy is doing this or is not doing that? If we just said like, they're pretty upfront, like if they're into you, you know, they're into you, leave it at that. If you don't know that they're into you, then they're just not into you. Like a guy's not going to make it a big secret. You know what I mean?
0: I agree with you 100%. And I did. I do remember that episode. I mean, I've seen every episode, but I can't remember every single one. By the way, have you guys heard that Sex and the City is coming back? I don't know how
1: I feel about any of that.
0: Huh? I'm
1: sorry. I don't know how I feel about any of that. I can't wait. I, 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 well, my problem is a lot of times these things come back and they're not the same. And like all the people aren't going to be on the show because, you know, Kim Cattrall doesn't want to come back and, you know, What's his name? Chris Knopf doesn't want to come back. And I'm like, well, then it's not the same show. Like, let's just leave it alone. You know what I mean?
0: Chris Knopf not coming back?
1: I, I heard on the radio somewhere that he wasn't coming back either. So it's kind of like, okay, well, she's married to him. Like, well, she what's be divorced or something in the
0: show? I don't
1: know. <laughs> you know, your partner's very witty as I'm listening to him in the peanut gallery.
0: Yeah. Um, like, Sorry, Robin. I can't hear you. Mike sucks. <laughs> I like if that was me, I'd be like, oh no. Is he right? Does my mic suck?
1: No, I get I get your humor, John. So I have another relationship thing that I think is bad advice, and you can tell me what you think. What do you think of the advice that the best way to get over an old man is to get under a new one?
0: Uh. I mean I think there could be some truth to that I mean I think what you need to do is get out there and uh, you know make yourself out active and social I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like you necessarily need to be having sex with someone but you know I, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world <laughs>
1: Well, I don't even think that
0: they're saying like I, I mean I look at it as very specifically talking
1: about like I guess, rebound sex in a way is like, okay, you get over this relationship by like going out and finding somebody else to sleep with. The problem I have with that is. Sorry. I I don't know that rebound sex stays there. I think what ends up happening is that people are very quick to leave an old relationship and then find a new one. Right. Without really processing what issues there were in that old relationship maybe taking a minute to be single, maybe taking a minute to figure out whether their relationship failed because of something they did. I know, gasp. People never want to think their relationship failed because of them. But what if it did? Like, maybe you should take a minute to make those assessments, but people are so quick to just go out and find someone else.
0: Let's not say failed. Let's say ended.
1: I mean, sometimes things are just failures. I know you're being very diplomatic, but... Well,
0: I think... Mean, I- reason i say that because as a divorce lawyer i think people get so hung up on the negative self talk and mm-hmm. feel bad about ending a marriage which is unnecessary especially if it's a really unhappy one at work or toxic um because we use terminology like that like i would love for people not to see a divorce as a failure because well, i don't think every
1: divorce is a failure for sure but i do think that a relationship could end because of some failure on my part. So what I mean by that is like, let's say I have a perfectly good relationship, but I sabotage good relationships because I need to work on my own mental health issues. Well, my sabotaging that relationship in a way is a failure. Like I failed to do something I should have done. Or if I cheated on my significant other, that was a failure on my part. Like that could have been a great relationship, but I fucked it up. So I just mean like, There are times where I think you need to own when you messed something up and what role you had in messing it up that maybe it would have otherwise been, you know, but I don't think that a relationship ending, especially if it's not a good one and doesn't serve either of the people or even one of the people, I don't see that as a
0: failure. You know, it's just the relationship didn't serve you. Do good relationships end? I think so. Well, why would they end if they were good? I mean,
1: I maybe it means maybe it's your definition of good. you know what I mean? I was looking at it more of like, could a relationship that's not toxic still end? And maybe I kind of put words in your mouth and that's not what you meant. But I was kind of looking at it as like there could be two good people that treat each other nicely and you know do things together, but maybe they're just realizing like you're not really the person I want, or maybe I want something different or Maybe the relationship is great, but I just, I'm looking to go into another direction. Maybe I, you know, there are plenty of people who were in heterosexual relationships that were great. Maybe one person realized that they're not heterosexual. You know what I mean? So like, that doesn't mean the relationship was bad. That just meant that wasn't the right relationship for you. Yeah.
0: Rosie says good relationships end because good isn't great. You are on fire tonight.
1: Rosie. I know, but don't you think that maybe the problem is that you know people are kind of always searching for their great, and maybe you know, I, I there was some saying that that, and I can't remember it, and I know I'm going to mess it up, but it was kind of along the lines of you know like we're, we're like that great is the enemy of bad or something. Shit like that, but basically, what it was is that people are always searching for the next thing, for the better
0: thing, for the you know, that you know, they want something better. Yeah, I've heard people say that, like, and I never get people that won't leave one relationship until they have another one lined up. I don't really get that because I feel like you judge your relationship on its merits alone, independent. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with everybody else. Like I'm with my boyfriend because I want to be with him. Not because Brad Pitt wasn't available. Do you know what I mean? Well, Pitt's not available. So I guess I'll go out with this guy. No, like you either want to be with that person or you don't want to be with that person. It's, it's not everybody else or, oh, I mean, there's somebody better. I mean, there's probably always somebody better, right? I mean, whatever that means. Yeah,
1: but you also have to realize too that there are a great number of people out there that are terrified of being alone. Yeah. So those people will never end a relationship until they have another one because they're terrified of being alone. So you know that's that's what I where I think you kind of find those people that you know are always looking for the next relationship or looking for the next person or you know whatever the case may be is because they know they want it in this relationship, but they also know that the thought of not having somebody and being by themselves is, is actually, you know, paralyzing to them. So they have to go out, find a replacement, have it lined up, and then they can end that relationship to just flow right into the next one. So they don't have to spend a second by themselves.
0: Yeah. You know, if there's anybody like that, I really want to invite you to, to reflect that's my big thing. Reflect on, um, you know, why that is. Why do you need that? Because that is um, trying to find a, a, another diplomatic way to say, it, you know, it's it's a weakness. Um, mm-hmm. And you could be so happy if you can figure out what that is that drives you to do that. You could be so happy and so fulfilled on your own. And this person that always wanted me to just agree with her. I remember one time she was so upset and crying and and cause she'd had another date that kind of went nowhere. And she said to me, you know, she was crying and said, how do I attract a healthy man? Like, how do I find a healthy man? And I said, be a healthy woman, mm-hmm. like be a healthy woman. You will, you will attract what you are. And I really believe that if anybody else disagrees, let me know. But um, you know, I think you find that when you have that alone time. So if you always need to be attached to somebody, mm-hmm. I don't think that's healthy. I know attracting people for the wrong person. And there's a good chance that you're with somebody for the wrong reason. If If that's how you feel, it's like, I can't be alone.
1: Well, it's very funny because that, that segues into some other bad advice that I hear, which is that. A lot of people give the advice that therapy is a waste of time. And, think,
0: um, you know, I don't think therapy is going to fix everything. I think you have to find someone that you're compatible with.
1: So there are some people that just that really could benefit from th- If you're the kind of person that you can't fathom being alone, it might behoove you to go talk to someone. Like it might behoove you to like unpack that if you can't, You know, not everybody has the ability to unpack those bags themselves. So if you can't unpack that yourself, it may make sense for you to go talk to someone and go like, hey, I have this crazy fear of being alone and trying to figure out why that is, you know?
0: Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, finding a therapist, just because they have initials after their name doesn't mean they're the right therapist for you. And I used to get caught up on... Having someone who was a PhD, but mm-hmm. the best therapist I ever had, I sound like I've had all this therapy. you um, could a- have a whole show talking about Christina's therapy. Like, tell not us there's nothing wrong with it. Um, she was a licensed uh, certified social worker and she was wonderful. I loved her. And you just have to find the person that's right for you. And I'm actually a big fan of coaches too. I think you mm-hmm. can find a coach that uh, can can help you. Again, it has to be the right fit for you. Have you ever had a coach
1: or a therapist just give you like horrible advice? I thought therapists don't really give advice though. I've never been to therapy. I'd love to go, but I've never been. So I, I've been told that like a good therapist is never going to tell you what to do.
0: Well, they're not supposed to. They really don't. Um, they, the, the whole point of it is for them to, for you to sort of come to it on your own. Mm-hmm. But I think some, I think some therapists will break that rule to some degree. I mean, I've had clients come in and say, well, my, our marriage counselor told us we should get a divorce. <laughs> I've,
1: I've actually had that happen too. Like I've had people that came in and said like, you know, we went to marriage counseling and the marriage counselor was pretty much like, I just don't think that you guys are compatible. Like, I just don't think that this is a good relationship.
0: I think are wow. them a great service if you're telling them that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like to think so. I mean, I would rather that than say like, no, why don't you guys come back in and just work on this and spend all of this time and spend all of your money, you know, trying to work on an issue that really is not a fixable issue. I actually think that they are doing them a service to just go like, you know, maybe
0: you guys are compatible. Maybe there's just nothing to work out. You know, I, I mean, I, I hate that expression. We're trying to work things out. Well, what are you trying to work out? I mean, do you really have differences that can be worked out or are you just trying to fit a square peg into a round hole?
1: I think sometimes that's it. I, I think sometimes that people, but you know, people are also kind of fed this narrative and I thought about this this morning because I was listening to something on the radio about you know divorce and and love I I, it was not on purpose just so everybody knows that I was listening to this on the radio but it just happened to be what the am show was like talking about and one of the things that I think to myself is and this kind of to me goes along the realm of bad advice because they're kind of talking about like why do people stay in these horrible relationships like why if someone's being abused did they stay in that relationship And granted, there are a lot of of reasons around that. And, you know, anybody who works with survivors of domestic violence, you understand that there's not one reason why somebody stays and we really shouldn't judge why someone stays. But with that being said, what I was thinking to myself was, I think that one of the reasons is that we have been fed, and maybe this does come into some of the worst advice, we've been fed this narrative that love is unconditional, that real love is unconditional. And I say there is no such thing as unconditional love. I'm throwing it out there, there's no such thing. Everyone loves with conditions. But I think that because we're being told that unconditional love, if it's true love, you work it out. If it's true love, you figure it out. If it's true love, you stay. It's because we're being told that there is this fallacy of unconditional love you can't tell me that that's a thing. Everyone has a condition. If you treat me like shit, I'm going to stop
0: loving you. That's just how it is. I'm going to. Yeah. And so that in and of itself is a condition. I think the only unconditional love is between a parent and a child. Yes.
1: And I do think that that, but I also think that that that's a different type of love. And maybe I'm talking just about romantic love. Like I know that even if, you know, your child tries to kill you, you're probably still going to love your child. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be all of those things. But unless we're on like days of our lives, I don't think that you're going to like hate your child. But, But I do think that, you know, the condition that we put on love is that I will love you as long as you continue to treat me this way. I will love you as long as you continue to be respectful of me. I will love you as long as all of these conditions happen. We're just Kind of assume that they're going to happen, but I think that that's why a lot of people stay in these relationships because they're given that bad advice of love is unconditional. Of if you really love somebody, you're going to stay and work it out. You're going to stay in a toxic situation because you commit to it. You know, I remember going to domestic violence training um, for mediation, and they were saying how there are a lot of you know people who are being victimized, and they go to their families and they say, "I need to get out of this relationship. I need to get out of this marriage," and they go. You made a vow. That's your problem now. You stay in that. You stay in that marriage because you that that was what you decided to do. You made a vow, but you know, in front of God, in front of everyone else. So you figure it out. What
0: shitty advice? What is shitty advice? advice? But you know what? I I always I know I'm I'm trivializing something that really is more complex, but. I never understand why people need permission from everybody else, you know, from from their mom and dad and their siblings and their friends and and whoever else they're looking to for this permission. I, I, I have a hard time with that because, well, I guess my family dynamic maybe is a little different because I was independent very young, but. I just don't, I have a hard time with it. Like, why, why does it matter what your mama thinks? Like, I remember there was a lady that came to talk to me who was really unhappy in her marriage. And she said, you know, there's nothing wrong with my husband. I just don't love him anymore. I don't, I do not see myself growing old with him. And the Mm -hmm. big thing for her in her life at the time was her mother. Her mother kept telling her, well, you're married and. You know, nobody in our family's divorced, and this is just how it is. That's that's what she told me. This yeah. is how it is. This is just how what marriage is. You know, it's not all fun, fun time. And so this girl was conflicted. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm really unhappy, but my mom keeps saying that this is just how marriage is. Maybe she's right. And mm-hmm. will my mom be really disappointed with me and and mad at me if I get divorced? So she was really conflicted about all of that. Um, It's hard for me to relate to because I pretty much just do whatever I want.
1: Well, I mean, I think that that story that you're telling, I, I do kind of understand why at some point you're like, you know, you need to be your own person and you can't care what your mom thinks. I think that there is a difference between that and maybe actually needing support and help and not getting it. So in some of these situations, people are going to their parents because they're saying, I need to leave my husband and I need help. Maybe they don't have a job. Maybe they don't have housing. Maybe they don't have transportation or whatever the case may be and saying, I need help. You know, I need to leave and I need your help. And then being told, no, we're not we're not helping you. You, you need to ride it out. That's very different from just wanting approval. But I think that a lot of people just want approval. Like they need other people's approval. They need for their parents to not be disappointed in them. You know how many people I, I know that are in the professions they're in, because that's what their parents wanted them to be. Well, my parents oh, yeah. wanted me to be a lawyer. So I'm a lawyer. Which yeah. is not my case. My parents, I don't think, really cared what I did. But you know, or people say my parents wanted me to be a doctor. They didn't think I, I was successful unless I'm a lawyer or a doctor. So I became a doctor. Well, did you want to be a doctor? Maybe not.
0: Yeah, and you know, sometimes it's, you know, idolizing one parent, right? Like, you know, the 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 guy who becomes a lawyer because his dad's a lawyer and he looks up to his dad and, you know, wants to be like his dad, but maybe he realizes at some point, like, I don't really like this job. This job sucks. <laughs> yeah. um, there, I mean, there's so much that goes into that, that shapes us who, as little kids and, and we grow up And sometimes those patterns that we learned as kids don't really serve us. Well, probably most of the time, they don't serve us anymore when we become adults and we're individuals. So So I have
1: a non-relationship question. What is the worst professional advice you ever got?
0: It's so hard. It's, you know, it's so much easier to think of good advice you got than bad advice. I mean, I think generally, and I like generalizing, because I've heard this in different places, is when people tell you, oh, you know, don't go out on your own. Don't be an entrepreneur. You know, just just stick with the same job you have, job security, like the emphasis, Mm -hmm. security, you know, have a job where you get a steady paycheck and you know, you don't have to worry so much about getting fired or finding clients or, uh, you know, you get a nice pension at the end. I mean, that's kind of the way people used to do things, right? You worked at at t or someplace yep. like that for 30 years. You got your anniversary watch and a pension and that's it. And then you retired and then you died. And, mm-hmm. you know, as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure that you can relate to this, you you take a risk that not everybody's comfortable with when you open up a business because now you have to make sure that you're running everything or that you're delegating to people who are running things and you have to make sure that you are generating the money for your paycheck. Yeah. Which can have wonderful rewards because when there's more money, you're getting more money, but when it, things are light, you know, you're the one that's that maybe has to not take a paycheck that week so that you can right. pay and I'm comfortable with that. I'm assuming you are too, Robin, because you're doing it. But I think generally people project their fears onto you. So if you mm-hmm. talk to someone who's worked at AT&T for 20 years and is going to retire soon, they might, they're going to be like, well, Robin, are you sure? You know, are you, sh- you probably heard this from people. Are you sure you want to do this? I mean, the economy is not good right now and all that overhead. And how are you going to get clients? And what if it doesn't work out? What are you going to do? You know, they always think of all the, the bad things. But mm-hmm. if you to an entrepreneur. They'll be like, oh, my God, th- this is so great. You're going to love it. I can help right. you. You know, you, you're going to be sorry you didn't do it sooner. So it depends Mm. on the part, you know, the, the, the life experience of that person that you're talking to. So I think that's bad advice. This is coming from an entrepreneur that, you know, if you hate your job, leave your job, you know, don't stay miserable. There's a million jobs out there. You know, maybe you won't love the next job. Maybe you will love the next job. But the great thing about it is there's other jobs. So you will find your place. So I think what, I think anytime someone's encouraging you to just stay the same, whether it's, you know, moving or, or taking advantage of a big opportunity or, or not, you know, doing what you need for your relationship to grow. I think I think that's bad advice. Yeah, I mean, I think
1: for me, it was something similar was just being given advice that, you know, my main focus in finding a job should just be what's going to make you the most money. Find what will make you the most money and do that. And it doesn't matter if you like it or not. So, you know, when I was in law school, you know, I was more focused on going the path of being a corporate attorney, of going down the corporate route. And it was boring as shit, guys. Like, I know there are people that do it, but, you know, like, as I'm studying this, I'm like, oh my God, like, I just want to scratch my eyeballs out. Like, I'm so bored. But, in my mind, I was like, "This is what will make me money. Like go go down the corporate path, go, you know, go find some big law firm to work for, go find some place where you can go and you know maybe be in-house counsel somewhere and get a cushy position where you're working nine to five, and you're just advising them how to not get sued. And I just thought it was incredibly boring. But kind of what I had in my mind because of the advice I was given, was like, well, if you're gonna go to law school and you're going to spend all this money to go to law school, then figure out what you think will pay the most and go do that. And I think that that's horrible advice because if I would have stayed on that path and just did the stuff that, you know, was kind of boring to me, maybe I would have been making more money. Maybe I wouldn't have been, maybe I would have had a nervous breakdown by now and I would have been in a padded room rocking back and forth. I don't know. Maybe I would have been a heroin addict. I don't know what would have happened if I just said, I'm just going to be on
0: that path because, I don't care if this makes me happy. I think it depends, you know, on what you consider to be security and, and safe and what that even looks like to you. Because what you think is safe and what I think is safe uh, aren't necessarily the same thing. But then I would ask you to explore, well, why do I need that? Like, why is that safe? Like, mm-hmm. What does that even mean? Um, you know, because a coach that I know always says, "You're you're never really safe. It, your idea of safety is just this thing that has been created in your head, and it's not even real. You think it is, like the safety of, of a job at AT and T. But even that person who thinks they're safe at AT and T, that's just a fallacy in their own head because they're really not. They could get fired. Why couldn't they? Yeah. Get fired? You know. And then where where's the safety then?
1: Uh, well, I think for most people, safety and security is just money. If I have a lot of money, I'm secure. If I have a job where I have the ability to, you know, to have a pension or to stock away money and savings, like that will make me secure. So for a lot of people, what we're doing, what you and I are doing doesn't offer security because they are like, oh my God, like, you know, anything can happen at any given time or what happens if you lose clients or what happens if there's a pandemic and you have to shut down your office, then what do you do? You know, and, and not everybody's of the mindset that I think you and I are. It's like, well, if that happens, you figure it the fuck
0: out. That's what you do. Yeah, but I can argue that we're more safe. Because yeah. we know how to make our own money. We're not relying on someone else to figure it out. We're fig- well, Bettina says
1: a lot of jobs are safe. So I'd like some examples. Of jobs, because in my mind, anyone can get fired. Like, I understand, like, you know, even there are teachers out there, they're like, well, I'm tenured, so I can't get fired. Like, no, champ, you can still get fired. You know what I mean? Like, there has to be a really good reason for it, but you can still get fired. That doesn't mean, you know, you can't just go to work and completely phone it in. But... Um,
0: well, government workers can get fired.
1: Or furloughed or downsized, or I mean... There's still, I I still don't know that very many things, and this is just my opinion, right? I I mean, and maybe it's because I'm biased because I am a business owner, but I think that the, the safest thing you can do is figure out a way that you can make money without relying on somebody else. To me, that's the safest thing you can do. I mean, because at the end of the day, especially if you have the mindset of business ownership, even if the law firm thing doesn't work out, like I understand I have a law firm. I always tell people in a way I kind of own a job, but you know, if this doesn't work out. You already have that mindset of creation. i like, okay, well then I'll reinvent and I'll create something else. I'll do something else.
0: You know, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess maybe the question is what, what does safe mean? I mean, I guess, you know, some of the jobs that Patina's mentioning, I mean, on the safety-o-meter, yeah. that's probably safer than than a lot of other jobs because oh, yeah. necessary jobs. Um, but, you know, government workers and cops and nurses can... They can get fired. Look at what happened to... Uh, what's his name? <laughs> the, the Chauvin guy. The George Floyd guy. I bet he didn't yeah. know that was going to happen that day.
1: Well, I mean... Maybe he should have been thinking then. I don't His know.
0: friends but. that were with him.
1: But, so. but I, I, I guess, you know, one of the things that, you know, Sophia just said is that you really can't make money without relying on other people, which is true. Sales.
0: You know, sales. David it, it, Nagle, people watch David Nagel because he will tell you, if you know how to do sales, you will always be able to make money.
1: But you're still selling to other people, which means you still rely on
0: someone else to make money. I guess what I'm saying is, I, say I, I kind I'm of a- worrying about your boss. Like, oh, you like if you're at a law firm and your boss is like, yeah, I have been mismanaging my firm and there's no more clients. Like, I gotta let you go. You know, you you know that the your action with your firm is what is going to dictate what happens to you? Like if I sit on my couch all day and don't do anything, then yeah, I'm not going to be making any money. But if I'm going to work and I'm showing up and I'm learning what I need to learn to run an efficient business and I get a lot of sales training, I mean, that's what's going to keep things afloat.
1: I I agree, but I I guess I I agree from a level of, yes, I'm not relying on someone else to make money in order to pay me to make money in a way. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, kind of agreeing to Sophia's point is that I've I've said to people all the time, especially when they talk about, you know, running your own business. No, my God, like, that's so great. You don't have a boss. And I'm like, yeah, no, I have a hundred bosses. Because at the end of the day, my clients dictate me making money. My clients need to be happy with my work to pay me. My clients need to, you know, to pay me for me to pay my staff, for me to pay myself. So in a way, I, I kind of feel like, no, I don't have one person to answer to, but now I have a lot of people to answer to. Like those, you know, in a way, those kind of are my bosses. These are all people I need to answer to because that's what keeps my business afloat. So no, they don't, you know, pay me or, you know, my paycheck is, you know, not being signed by all of these people. But, you know, I think theoretically, no, like we always are going to need other people and the flow of money from other people. To make money, like you just kind of do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't. You're right. You're right. I don't. I don't really look at the customers that way. I I think a lot of us give them too much power. Those are mm-hmm. the people a lot of times we get too stuck in that. Like you'll you'll get a client who's unhappy about something, and it could be totally unreasonable what they're unhappy about, and you get the attorney who's like. Oh, Oh my god! What am I gonna do? I have to make this right. They're gonna fire me. I'm gonna have to eat shit because this client is gonna fire me. And it's like, whoa! Hold up, time out. Like this is a reciprocal relationship. Like you provide work for them to a certain standard, and they pay you for that. So, you know, when I get a client who starts complaining, of course I want I want them to be happy. But sometimes mm-hmm. you get people that their expectations are totally unreasonable. Look, look, I'm sure you've seen them, right? They're a client. Yeah. They're just crazy. Yeah. And I don't need those people. They stress me out. They're never happy. It's impossible to make them happy. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're, well, especially the ones that are paying their bill, because the ones that aren't paying their bill, they can go somewhere else. But the ones mm-hmm. that are actually paying their bill you know, sometimes I'm not unhappy to see them go. And I've even told clients who just really aren't a good fit that I don't think we're a good fit. You know, like yeah. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think I can accommodate you. And I totally understand if you want to go to another firm, it, like you need to feel comfortable with who you're working with. And if that's not us, then you should go somewhere else. I have no problem
1: yeah. with that. Yeah. No, I I don't either. I think that that's part of, of the, um, you know, the good thing about having your own practice is that you can still turn down clients. You can fire clients. You can say it's not a good fit, but, you know, at the same time, I think that, you know, a lot of those people that do freak out when they lose a client, you know, we never know the position that they're in. I think that there is some level of privilege to having a practice where you can make that choice to say, okay. Am I going to have, you know, $10,000, 20000 $40,000 walk out the door? Bye. That's privilege to be able to do that. A lot of business owners can't see that kind of money walk out the door. So they do need to scramble to make that person happy. And I don't necessarily, you know, like kind of go to that here. You know, here's another piece of bad advice, I guess, of, you know, the client's always right or the customers are always right. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I don't think the customer is always right. And I don't think the client's always right. But, you know, we are still in a customer service industry, whether we like it or not. You know, because at the end of the day, if we don't have clients that are happy with us, if we have one too many clients that are unhappy with us, and they do decide to take their money elsewhere, we're not going to have a business. Eventually, you are going to close your doors. Because if you have the attitude for every client of like, well, if you don't like it, deuces, you know, some of them may say, all right, well, we're just going to go to an attorney who's going to be more accommodating.
0: Well, it depends what they're asking you for, though. I mean, of if, course, of I, course, yeah. You know, customer service absolutely is a priority. We spend a lot of time learning how to create the best possible experience for someone who's getting a divorce, but they're not mm-hmm. having people. So sometimes that's not easy. Um, so I don't, I don't. No, if I've done anything to make you think that I'm basically telling my clients, like, F you, I'm the yeah. boss. <laughs> you're I'm not doing anything for you. It's not like yeah. that. We do try to create, um, you know, a, a, as pleasant as possible experience. For yeah. We can. When you're but getting there are divorced, people yeah. that will never be happy. There are people <laughs> that are nasty to you, that are nasty to your your staff, that are abusive. And they just think that they have the right to do that because they're paying you. And I disagree with that. That, that does yeah. not happen in my office. If you're going to abuse me yeah. or my staff, you're gone. I don't care how much you're paying me. I don't have to deal with that. just because. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that there's a difference between, you know, abusive and, you know, I have certain expectations because I'm paying you my money. I know I'm the same way. If I'm paying for something, I have expectations. And maybe I, you know, somebody might think I'm a pain in the ass or maybe somebody might think I'm asking for too much, but I do look at it from a perspective of, you know, my clients are paying me for a service, so I need to provide a service to them. Um, You know, I need them to feel that they're a priority. I need them to feel that they're important. And sometimes you're kind of like, oh my God, like you're not my only client. You know what I mean? And there are definitely some clients who are like, they act like they are where you're like, okay, like I can't spend all day with you. But, you know, I think that there's definitely a difference between that and a client who's abusive and we've all had them, Uh you know, we definitely have all had, you know, I I know when I go to a lot of these seminars, they call them like your D clients and that you spend 80% of your time on like these D clients versus like the 20% of the time you spend on like your A and B clients who are, you know, wanting to work with you reasonable, pay their bills on time, do all of those things. So there definitely are those people that you do have to say, like, this is not a good fit. I'm sorry. That's yeah, true. And, and gonna, I do agree.
0: You're not going to be I, with everybody. Yeah. And
1: I do agree that if a client is abusing me, I actually take abuse better than I do abusing my staff. I get really upset when a client abuses my staff. Me
0: too. I but do. You do. Wanna call,
1: if you want to call and yell at me, call and yell at me. Like, I'm okay
0: with that. But they
1: not They will
0: they're nasty yeah. to the staff, but they would never talk to you like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but I do think that on some level, that whole, like, the customer's always right is kind of bad advice. If like, the customer isn't always right, like, I think you do need to focus on servicing them and doing your best job for them. But I don't think that we can always say, like, well, whatever they say just goes. Because if that's the case, we going to be in jail. Do you know how many times my client has said, like, can you
0: just find me a hitman? Like, if I was like, Sure. Then, you know, well, that I mean, would be a problem. I think what that expression really means, at least to me, is is that you have to work with the customer to, to see what it is that they need to make them happy. Because mm-hmm. sometimes what they're telling you is the problem isn't really the problem. Like if they're saying, well, you know, I sent uh, my associate two emails this week and he hasn't gotten back to me. You know, I had one lady do that and she, it was like, I was talking to her at, you know, 12 o'clock. No, I think it was talking to her in the morning, like literally mm-hmm. nine o'clock in the morning. And she had sent him an email that the night before at six o'clock and he mm-hmm. had complaining that he hadn't gotten back to her yet. I, I think that's unreasonable. You know, that people think that we're sitting there glued to our phones and our inboxes waiting Mm -hmm. to get back to them instantaneously. So if you've got someone who's complaining about that, maybe the issue is probably more so that they're very nervous. They're getting a divorce. It's a traumatic experience. They're scared. They just want to know that everything's okay. And sometimes Mm -hmm. when we have that conversation with them, it alleviates the anxiety. Oh, your associate didn't get back to me. I emailed him yesterday and he hasn't written back yet. And it's like, yeah, but you wrote back. You wrote at six. It's nine, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? right? So, I mean, that's just one example that I can think of. But I think there just has to be an ongoing communication and contact with the customers to make sure expectations are where they need to be. And it goes both ways, like what they want from me and can I give them that? Because if I can't or I don't want to, then they should go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of it does come down to, and I feel like we talk about this so much on the show, is the setting of expectations. You know what I mean? There are so many people that sit down during you know initial intake with a new client or a new customer and there is an expectation setting session of how does communication work in this office? Yeah. And, you, know, when do you, you know, when should you expect a call back? You know, some people put that right in their email signature, which, you know, I, I know I do that I say emails are not reviewed in real time and that you should expect an answer back within 24 hours. Or I even go to the extreme of I have an auto reply on my email to pretty much say, if you're emailing me, here's what you need to do. If this is happening, call this person. If you need to make an appointment, call this person. If you you know just so that people know what they're supposed to be doing. But you know, I, I think that it always comes back at the end of the day to
0: expectations. Yeah, how were the expectations set? Answer Bettina's question. We give our clients um, like a memo with client expectations, what we expect from them, and what they can expect from us. Do you think anybody reads that? No, no, I do the same thing. I don't read it, so yeah. when they start complaining about like why well, I, I sent him an email and it's been five seconds and he hasn't written me back, our policy because this is really important in law office you have to get back to people because I've been a client before, and it's it it makes you nervous when you send your your attorney an email and you don't hear back for a couple of days. Yeah, and we I tell everybody in our office we harp on this constantly. You have to respond to emails and phone calls the same day unless it's late in the day like four or five but absolutely within 24 hours even if it's not you even if it's just have the paralegal say hey you know so and so was in court today can we put a phone call on the calendar that's right. what we do, so that they're like okay they feel better like okay they saw it they know they're not ignoring me And then I think there's a little ego involved too. They need to feel like they're important and they're, but, but,
1: but I think that especially when you're in a realm where, you know, we have to kind of call a spade a spade. Like if you're, if you're a client for either of us, for the most part, you're spending a lot of money. That's just what it is. You're spending a lot of money for an attorney. If I'm spending a lot of money, I do have a little bit of ego. Like if I'm handing you thousands of dollars, I do want to feel important. Like when I call, you're going to pick up. When I write you, you're going to write me back. Because for a lot of people, you know, this retainer that they're giving us might be the most money they ever had to plunk down for anything in their lives, other than maybe a house. You know what I mean? So they're giving you all this money. And, you know, we're saying with a straight face, you know, okay, well, you want to get divorced? I need $5,000. I need $10,000. I need whatever it is. And they're handing you this money. I mean, I know if there were me and I handed somebody $10,000, I, I they better pick up the damn phone when I call. I just handed you $10,000. Yes,
0: yeah, I don't know. I just, I, that's just how I am. I don't know. I, I You know what? I'm nobody's bitch. <laughs> I don't care how much you paid me. When we establish our relationship, Mm-hmm. Some of the things that we establish is what am I doing for you? What can you expect? And what, you know, what, and, but it flows both ways. That, that's my feeling. So, yeah, I mean, this is how you want. That's how I choose to run my business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely get that. I just think that, you know, there's nothing wrong with making somebody, see even if, you know,
0: but like, like I said, could, it could be your paralegal. What do you mean? Couldn't your paralegal be the one that answers them? I don't know. I, I'm not like, yes, of course. I, uh, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying getting a feeling
1: if you're, you're paying a lot for a service, I think it does go a long way to make that person feel like they're kind of a VIP. Like, even if it is my paralegal calling and saying, we got your message, Mr. So-and-so, we want to make sure yeah. that Robin talks to you right away, whatever it is, like, but you, you have to kind of make people feel Oh yeah, I agree. like, you know, you have to stroke the ego. I, I think that's me saying I agree with you that it is a little ego. And sometimes I yeah. think you do have to stroke the ego a little yeah, bit. Like, yeah, we're going to be here. I
0: have that more than others. You know, you we <laughs> think they're, you know, Kim Kardashian. And it's like, okay, I get it. But you know, I have other clients too that are calling me and expect me to get back to them immediately. And you know, I, I have to plan my day accordingly. So someone yeah. have to wait a little bit. Um, Anthony Nunez, he says, do you feel that the pandemic has created a feeling of instant communication? Anthony, my answer to that question is I don't think this had to do with the pandemic. I think people had that before. And I think it's because, yeah. the, you know, the time we live in, age of technology and the Internet and social media and email, People think you're available 24 hours a day and instantaneously. Yeah. Good thing, Robin.
1: I, I agree. I think that that was just part of, you know, like how technology has evolved, that there is that, you know, that sense of instant gratification of like, I sent an email. Why didn't I get a response? I find myself doing that too. Like, if I email someone and like I don't get it, like I'll like check my email again in like an hour. How much did they respond? You know what I mean? And when you think about it, that is kind of an unreasonable expectation. Like back in the day when we we're writing letters, you didn't get a letter back right away. But now it's like an hour later, and I'm like, did I get an answer? What happened? You know what I mean? So I don't know if the pandemic made that better or worse. I do that. The, I do think that the pandemic caused maybe a greater sense of availability, especially when we were all kind of like in lockdown. Like if I called someone or texted someone and they didn't answer, I'm just like, well, what the fuck else are you doing? Like you're home. I know you're home. So why aren't you answering me? So I think maybe a little bit because you kind of do know like you're clearly not out at the club. So where
0: are you right now? Like why aren't you answering me? I, I love the clients who disappear for months. Like, you know, you've asked them to sign things or look at things or give you, you know, discovery, not not a peep. And then all of a sudden they write to you and it's like, you, well, how come you're not available? I just wrote to you today. What, what's going on? It's like, I don't know, because I'm not sitting around waiting for you to call like for the past three months,
1: but I'm, I'm just but I, 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 I had a client once that said it was like something ridiculous. Like he was like, Oh, um, I got, I'm on my way to the car wash. I have to go to my car wash and I'll call you back. And I go, okay. And then, literally, we were stalking this guy for like three months. So, like, the running joke in the office is like, "That was a really long car wash." Because, <laughs> like, yeah. he won't call back. He not like. We're emailing him. We're calling him. We're like, and it's not even like a situation like he's paid. We, he literally has money just sitting on retainer. And we're like, do you like you want us to do something or you want us to do some work? So, like, those are always very you know interesting people. Yeah. I would say.
0: I feel like we've maybe maybe diverged from our topic a bit. What do you think? You think. I
1: mean, it would be odd though because we just never do that. So I I don't. I don't <laughs> know how that could have happened. Well,
0: That's I just- feel like one show idea I got is what is love, which I don't know. That might be too messy. But what is love? Because and the reason is because I heard this saying a, a while back that love is a behavior, not mm-hmm. an. Emotion. And it's sort of an interesting thing to think about Um, because, and what I think about is, you know how there's people like families who treat each other like shit, but they're always saying, I love you. And it's it's confusing. Like, I feel like it could be really confusing to a child. Like what does a child learn about what love is? Because they've got, you know, parents that maybe beat them or neglect them, but are always saying, I love you. It's like, but what is what does that mean? Is Are they learning that when someone loves you, that that's what it looks like?
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly what they're learning. Yeah, if we have any experts out there who can maybe explain to us what love is, because I can't answer that damn question, feel free to hit us up and we'll have you on the show so you can help us unpack what is love. And one of the other things, because I feel like we started talking about like client relations and employment stuff, uh-huh. that. What I think it's interesting because we got a lot of feedback from Bettina, who is my favorite HR consultant. So, oh. what I think is interesting is maybe we can have Bettina on the show to talk to all the people out there about all the shit they shouldn't be taking from their employers. None of my employees may listen to that episode. <laughs> None of you oh, are invited.
0: Like this, and I'm sure you're a wonderful employer and there's no complaint there. I'm sure. I'm oh, sure. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's different. It's really different when you're the boss. I hate that word. But when you're in the boss, you're in the boss's chair, you just have a different view. <laughs> you, you see things so differently than when you're the person who's the employee. All of it.
1: There are a lot of things that as an employee that, you know, my employers would do. And I would kind of go like, I don't understand or why they're doing this or why they're doing that. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm kind of like, yeah, I get it. Like I I completely get why they did this or why they had that attitude or, you know, uh, you know, I remember having like, you know, an employer who said like, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is the policy. If you don't like it, you don't need to work here. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that's a shitty thing to say. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Like it's just, it's very interesting.
0: I think you you can think that to some degree as a boss. I don't think you should say that. I don't think, and Mm -hmm. and you certainly shouldn't express it that way. Mm -hmm. That's not the kind of boss that probably has people that stay for a long time and, you know, has a collegial work environment. (laughs)
1: probably not but but I do think that sometimes you know I've definitely understood the concept of like you get to a point where you're like okay I've now said this 40,000 times if I have to say it again you're not going to work here Like like it gets it gets so like frustrating where you're like oh my god like I said it nicely I said it you know this way I said it that way I've written it in you know, Morse code, I don't know how else to communicate this same policy to you other than to say, if you fuck up again, you're going to get fired. And I just never thought I I was going to be the kind of person that would, you know,
0: react that way. You're a boss. I mean, it's not always about being nice. And I, and I have learned because you're very direct. Like I am that there are definitely better ways to say things sometimes. You know, I've had to learn that. I certainly, there's plenty of room for more improvement there, but I think I've gotten a lot better. But <laughs> I, cause I just, I don't have time for it. Like I, people, personnel, like the, the personnel management, I, I hate it. I It's not my favorite thing. <laughs> I don't like it.
1: And that's okay. Everything's not for everybody.
0: Yeah, but- John's well, much better at it. He's like, warm and fuzzy all the time, but you know you can't always be warm and fuzzy because sometimes like what you're saying is when someone's fucking up, you have to tell them that they're fucking yeah. up but that's not an easy conversation and then they also have to know that there are consequences. Hmm. you know yeah I, I absolutely like Bettina, what do you think about solitary confinement as a and HR? <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a feeling that she's going to
1: say that that's a no go. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Well, I mean, I feel like we um, we again solved not only the problems of the worst advice that you got, but I think relationship problems, employer problems, client relation problems, all in about an hour. And that's what we do here on shit talking. you solve solve <laughs> all the world's problems. All sorts of problems, including but not limited to what you thought you were coming here to listen to. Yeah, That's just right. what it
0: is. Okay, so you guys, we wanted to announce that starting next Wednesday, we are going to be airing at 6 p.m. Eastern time instead of 7 p.m. because Robin and I need to get our beauty sleep.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you guys. This 7 o'clock time slot is it's
0: super hard. rough. It's, it's rough. hard. Yeah. And I'm starving because I didn't eat dinner. And then by by the time this starts, I'm so hungry by
1: the end. So basically what we're saying is that we need to eat and we need to sleep. So we're going to move to six o'clock. I'm hoping that you guys will move with us. Join us at six o'clock go live with us at six o'clock. And then at seven, we can all just, you know, have some dinner and drink some wine.
0: Yeah, and next week we're having matchmaker Michelle G on. She was supposed to be with us this week, but she had to reschedule. So she will be on with us next week to resume a prior conversation we had, which was, uh, you know, expectations. That's like, a, that's our theme for this season, I think. Or, yeah. To talk about expectations and, you know, when is the right time to do certain things in a relationship or when you're dating. So we're going to hear what she thinks. Matchmaker,
1: matchmaker, make
0: me a match. I'm ready. All right, guys. Thank you, peanut gallery. As always, we appreciate your input. And we'll see you next week at 6 p.m. right here. Good night. Bye.